0: Welcome everyone to the sports review here on Planet FM, and this show is proudly brought to you by Whisprint. They're based at Nine Perera Street in New Lynn. Their number is oh nine eight two seven eight five three one, or you can email them on whisprint.co.nz for all your printing needs. Go to Whistprint. Anyway, what a lovely day here in the city of Sales, and we've got a good, big show uh, coming up. We've got AJ. We've got AJ up next. We've got Frank Endicott. We've got Noel Barkley, we've got Mark Watson, but we'll rip into it in the rugby. then. I'd like to welcome former All Black, 1987 World Cup winner, and my, and my good mate who is over six foot, A.J. Whitton. Good afternoon to you, A.J.
1: Yep, good afternoon, mate. Always good to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, good to see you in good form, even though you're not the tallest person around. You certainly have the biggest heart.
0: Well, I would say I've got the biggest map and at the moment. It's, it's probably getting towards the biggest stomach lining, so I've got to go back to the uh, more, Got to go back to the early morning walks and back into dieting again. I think the good thing I got out of lockdown is that, is that I lost so much weight. But when they have the temptations of bars and such, AJ, and people want to see you, it's very, very hard. Anyway, we'll we'll rip into some super rugby. These were some of the Australian results. Fiji Drawner 31, the Rebels 26, first win for the Fijian franchise, the Reds 29, the 416, the Brumbies 27, the Waratahs 20. That was on the Aussie side, but now we get to the New Zealand side of it. Friday night saw the debut of Moana Pacifica. Again, so pretty much, and we can we can say this, a, you know, a much-changed crusader side, the Crusaders came through 33 points to 12, but I have to say, you know, Moana Pacifica really gave them a really good go and probably came out of this match with a bit of credit. What were some of your thoughts on, on that game, Ojo?
1: Uh No, no, pretty good. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, funny weekend of rugby. Um, probably not quite up to the standard of last week, but I guess you get that. Uh, the team's playing back at home, so uh, that may have been an issue. No crowds. It certainly makes a difference. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess they'll be going back to the drawing board and I've just got to uh, start picking up the pace a bit.
0: Yeah, just on that um, Crusaders Moana Pacifica, really was quite impressed with some of what uh, Moana Pacifica came up with and Like, and that's taken it up and away from it. This was a, you know, it was a much changed Crusaders side. I felt the Crusaders' loose forwards trio was just outstanding, but. You know, I looked at the Moana Pacifica, McClutchie, uh, Tola, uh, Amua, that first, second and, and centre combination, as well as Henry Stout. I felt, you know, they, they, really, gave a good, they really gave a good effort because, you know, I was expecting a big, bit of a blowout there, AJ.
1: Well, I think most of us were, Peggy. Um, certainly, uh, I think you've got to uh, give Moana Pacifica a bit of praise. Um, they certainly uh, trawled away. Uh, took their opportunities, which the Crusaders presented. Uh, they looked a bit off the pace, to be honest. I know there was a lot of changes, and, and probably Scott Robertson was resting some, and we all get that. But certainly it wasn't up to the Crusaders' performance with the bench they have, uh, so uh, all the squad. So uh, yeah, bit of a wake-up call. Uh, can't quite take all the teams uh, as lightly as you did with Minor Pacifica. They can only get better. We certainly hope so. But the Crusaders, well and truly off the mark. They got their bonus point. They move on. But uh, I assure you, next time they play Moana Pacifica, uh, they'll be back to their uh, normal standard of play and uh, expecting a lot better performance.
0: Yeah, and I have to agree with you on there. Well, then we move on to the um, earlier game on the Saturday now. I have to say, like, I would say that... uh, (laughs) Watch it. This game was a cracking game, but if you're a Blues supporter at times, you're thinking, God, sometimes they know how to play a good game and lose a game, but it was the Blues 24, the Chiefs 22. Uh, really, some real great clashes out there. I was really impressed with the matchup between Delta Papa Ali here and Sam Kane. That was a real arm battle, but, you know, it could have gone either way. Bring Gatlin missed the kick right out the death, which could have been the chief victory. Some of your thoughts on that.
1: Well, Dad's right. The blues they like to give all their supporters a heart attack, let alone their coaching staff there, you know, McDonald. Sitting in the booth there, he was going, Here we go again, same as last week. So an issue about not closing it out, uh, they certainly got there in the end. All they had to do was just take it up one more time. Lack of communication, body positions in the row, those big dumpy front rowers, not quite thinking and uh, I absolutely thought that uh, Brunachman would nail it and the um, Chiefs would get out of jail. But maybe a bit of justice. Um, I thought the game had some good moments, um, a bit scrappy now and then, uh, to, certainly the match-up. The number sevens Kane, and, and Papalie was a good one, and possibly Kane coming a bit out on top. But aren't we lucky to have the uh, amount of depth in, in number sevens in the country? And uh, it's good to absolutely. see that we're... Uh, Certainly got that area covered. And I thought Sam McCain, actually, um, still finding his way from last year, coming off injury, um, he was a pain in the butt for the Blues. And he could be well satisfied with his performance, um, stealing a lot of ball. I thought the, um, also um, the uh, combination, I thought Josh Lord in the middle row was, was a good performer. He seems to be getting better with each match, a young man and I like that Sam Mifleo in the front row. He seemed to be a handful with ball in hand. But, um, yeah, no, credit to the Blues. Um, Stephen Perofita in the back line, I thought he was the star. Not only um, that magical kick from the sideline to secure the two points, but uh, just his general play and defence, high ball, and his running, which set up a nice try. So uh, I think he's certainly nailed that position. And if we mention Dalton Papali'i, his first up, uh, showed some good leadership along with uh, Hoskins Satutu with running hard and good to see Calum Ralph uh, hungry running hard scored a good try and um, I think he's got a, a good season ahead of him if he keeps uh, with his form going.
0: I'd have to agree with you there, AJ. Also was impressed with the uh, chief number no. eight, Peter Gasolad. You know, every oh, yes. time he yes. just gets better and better. He's such a great ball carrier. You know, oh, yes. and
1: that's minutes. Yep. Yeah, he was just simply... And, and I think he's a, he's a beast of a man, isn't he? Mm, absolutely.
0: Anyway, we move on to the Canes 21, the Highlanders 14. I have to say, quite a scrappy affair this was. And, you know, I have, I'll i say this to you. Um, the Canes without Artie severe would be a very, very different side, but, you know... He, he, he was simply outstanding in that match, but I have to, looking at the Highlanders, I felt that front row was very, very competent. And, you know, and bringing Aaron Smith on after, at half time probably had a bit of injection. And, of course, a guy which I'm picking to be a player to watch during the Super Rugby, Braden Oste, him coming off the bench, he is just fantastic. Yeah, well, it
1: was one of those games, you know, we were very spoiled last week. Um, you, you probably get that. Here's a Highlanders team that's. Now had three losses. It really was a must-win from my point of view. I thought they started well. You mentioned the front row of uh, you know DeGroote, Coltman and Ainsley. I, I thought they were dominant with Evans and Dixon in their front five. But they just didn't seem to capitalise on the opportunities. Um, I thought the Busy in the Lucy's with Al, Edmonds and Renton. But it was in the backs that I was disappointed most. Uh, they just seemed to lack that attacking ability to break the line, uh, the penetration, Piggy. Um, lacked a bit of flow at times. They seem to get a bit lost and, and head back in field and, and, and lose their uh, support. So they've got a few issues there to sort that out. Getting enough ball, getting enough good ball, and their forwards are toiling away, uh, but not quite getting the results. So they've got some big issues ahead of them. Uh, their, their match next week, where they uh, are playing the Blues at home, well at Albany, um it's not going to get easy for them, so they could end up four from four without a win, and, and really uh, their season is, could be over. So a uh, big game for them coming up this week. The Canes, yep, again, um, did enough to win. You mentioned Artie Sevilla, always a handful, and uh, a couple of players to watch. He is certainly, a uh, Braden uh, Lusa, he is an impact player off the bench. Just picked up the pace a bit with his enthusiasm hard man to bring down and I like that Reuben Love I thought he had a a pretty solid performance at first five, put the boys round the park quite well so again another win for the uh, Canes, two out of three I'm pretty sure they'll take that gladly Yep, and I have to say, well, we've got a couple of
0: real crackers on our games on the New Zealand side. Obviously, we've mentioned the Friday game, the Blues versus the Highlanders, and you know, I can I cannot see the Highlanders upsetting the Blues. I could be wrong, but you know, I think they they're just lacking something within their backline, like whether they have a you know a real good midfield player or somebody that can break open that game and that seemed to. They don't really seem to have that intensity. The Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica, well, I think the Hurricanes will make a few changes, but, you know, they have to be favourite. But this Saturday game looks like it's going to be a real humdinger. The Crusaders versus the Chiefs, and, you know, I think that's going to be a must-watch, Ojo.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. The big game on Saturday night, 7.05 uh, in Christchurch, so that's never easy for any visiting team and the Chiefs. So uh, go down, but they have a good record. So I think they've got some confidence um, and they'll go down there thinking they need to win this match also and, and start putting a line in the sand. They've got the team to do it. They've got the big boys up front. They've got some exciting backs. And if Sam Kane produces that performance again, he will be certainly giving them some uh, quality ball to work off.
0: Yep, I'd have to agree with you there, Roger. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. And, and whether the Crusaders, whether they start whether they start with Mawanga, he did come on, he did look a bit off the pace, but what changes the Crusaders will make from this week to last week, it'll be a totally different side. And I think this yep. one, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going with the Crusaders on this, but I don't think there is going to be much between these two
1: teams. No, it'll be worth uh, watching on telly at seven or 12, That's for sure.
0: Certainly will, AJ. Well, as as usual, it, it, it was always a great pleasure to have a quick chat to you on, on a uh, on a Monday, and of course, big week ahead for for yourself. And of course, we'll catch up uh, next week. Now, when you when you're back in uh, my part of the hood. Um, I'm definitely taking you out for a few drinks, and yes, I will be putting into the pocket, which might sound a bit unusual, but and I'll be shouting you, taking you down to a bar on to a bar that's named a shot after me. So, so I feel that I must
1: do that. I look forward to make sure you go into your pocket. It'll be a treat. And, and just on a sad note, uh, I know we're rugby people and or sports people, but the loss of uh, Shane Warne. I mean, uh, I, I like my sport, like my cricket but uh, also Rodney Marsh, I guess, a a bit earlier for some. But Shane Warne, what a tremendous cricket player. He um, came along with his spin bowling, and we're all mesmerised. And uh, even myself have watched uh, him in action. And a character off the field, I guess, we could all relate to. He liked a beer and a a young man on his journey. So uh, just want to pass on uh, my regards and condolences to his family and and close friends. A, A tragic loss. Not only to uh, the cricket and cricket fraternity, but to uh, sport in general, he was uh, just one unique individual.
0: He was a character, he, and I tell you something: you, you hear some wonderful stories about Shane Warne. You know, like I know people that worked in the hotel industry where the Australians and they toured here, and they they all said the, the nicest out of the lot of them was Shane Warne, the most generous, always willing to have a photo, always willing to, um, always willing to, you know make his time available, and, you know, he was just, he was a normal bloke. He had his flaws like a all, but you know what? He was a good bugger. AJ, yeah, that was so a that was nice, night. yeah, well, he was like a all. He liked a bit of fun. Well, AJ, yeah, I have to say day. that was great talking to you, and you have okay, a great man. rest of the week, and we'll catch up on um, on next Monday. Okay, that was AJ Wheaton. So, next up, we're just going to have former Kiwis coach and Warriors coach Frank Endicott. We're going to do our NRL predictions and preview the NRL season. one back to the Prince sports review here on Planet F M. Of course starting this Thursday, yes it's starting us it back. It is the NRL. The Penrith Pampers will be playing the Manly Seagulls this Thursday. And of course as we all as of course last season, unfortunately poor old Bluey, he's just so busy with our work commitments. But we've decided he's back. Probably because I own a lot of um, a lot of booze from the previous season, but he's but he's one of the best experts in the game and he's an all round good bloke. He's a former Kiwi coach. He's a former uh, Auckland Warriors coach. He's a former Wigan coach, witness Vikings, and a former Canterbury coach. And he's my good mate, Frank Endicott. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you back, Frank.
2: Thanks very much, Amon. Good to be
0: back. Now, um, the, now, we better dispel a couple of rumours that, that uh, your fee is going to be paid in uh, Spates or Lion
2: Red this year. <laughs> Spates is a Southern drink, mate.
0: Well, good. We've definitely so definitely we've definitely got that sort of I know that you're threatening to come up in the next few months to visit a whole lot of your mates here in Auckland. Well we might as well it we might as well chat about it. we've got the upcoming NRL season of course a lot of our interest will be to do with the New Zealand Warriors and while they've made some good signings, Sean Johnson, uh, Aaron Penney from uh, Melbourne Stomp and they've made and they've made a lot of biases, a lot of murmurings about Reese Welch. But will let's be honest. We, do you believe that the um, Warriors can make the top eight this year? And what should be the expectations for fans moving ahead for the season?
2: Well, good question, Amon. Uh, look, look, we always have great expectations. To uh, be honest, I've just sat down this morning, worked out my top eight, and the Warriors aren't in it. Um, I, I see the Warriors being around that 11-12 position at the end of the year. I hope I'm wrong, um, but that's the way I see it.
0: I'd have to, you know, when I've done my top eight as well too, Frank. And you know, while it's great to have uh, Sean Johnson back, it's great to have. I just, I just think we're just lacking something at the moment. I know they've signed Dylan Walker for next season. I'm fifty-fifty on that move, but I just think what they need is what the Warriors will definitely need: a lot of luck and maybe a few decisions to go their way if they're going to fight free- to. The top eight, and we know the commitment they've made in the last two seasons, and it's been fantastic. But I just don't believe that. It's, I don't believe we've got that kettle there to move forward, Frank.
2: No, I don't either. Uh, I've looked, I've looked through their team, their squad, and um, we've got some good players there, but so have, so have all the other teams. But uh, some of the combinations I just don't think are good enough to uh, to be in that top eight, to be honest.
0: Mm, I'd have to agree with you there, Frank. Well, well, we might as well rip into it. Let's pick our top eight, and um, I'm going to see. Um, I can give you my top eight, and it's starting from April 1st. I've gone for the eel, the titans, the Rabbitohs, the sharks, the roosters, the seagull,
2: the storm, and the minor premiers being the pampers. Your top eight, Frank. Well, gee, you went through it pretty quick, but I think we might be pretty similar. I've gone uh, in this order, so... Um, Storm, Roosters, Tenrith, Parramatta, Manly, South, Cronulla, and Canberra.
0: Yeah, Canberra. Canberra look an interesting type because a lot of the pundits aren't actually saying they're going to make the top eight, but that Canberra side. They've got a, still got a, a bit of talent there, and, you know, they've got players that can break open a game, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Ricky Stewart you know, any team that Ricky Stewart coaches, you, you never doubt them because you know you, we all know what Ricky's like, what a great competitor he is. And, you know, you, you, you couldn't go past that. But, you know, looking at who's the finalist and I have to say, like, you know, both of us love the way the Melbourne Storm play but this great side is is breaking up. Um, a, a few players are heading towards the Cliff Dolphins. Uh, as we know, the Cheese is heading towards uh, the roosters. So, you know, this—I've got a feeling that if the storm, this could
2: be the storm's big year. Yeah, I do too. I—I I, I think with the players, are going to be leaving the following year. The Bromwich boys and um, oh, Kafushi, a, a number of players. The Chiefs, um, you know, they're going—they're going to be in for a big year. They'll, they'll be committing to each other uh, that they go well this year and make that grand final. And I think they're good enough to do it. You know
0: what? I I think they would, and I think you know, I think for a lot of rugby league people, it doesn't matter for anyone who's a sporting person. You know, this is going to be probably the end of one of the great rugby league teams of 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 the last uh, five to six years. You know, and there's still rumours going around that this may also be Craig Bellamy's last season at the Storm as well, which would be a great tragedy because he is one of the best. He's the best coach in the game.
2: Uh, without a doubt, um, I agree with that. Now, that, that's going to be a big call if uh, Craig actually sticks around for the following year and resigns, because he'll see all those players missing, uh, and he'll know it's going to be a hell of a hard job to take on after that. But um, where's he going to go? I mean, I, I see that I see with the signings the Roosters are doing that they're going to be the side to beat over the next few years.
0: I would, I'd have to agree with there, Frank, because I think there's just they're brought well off off season, and you know when we talk about our top eight, you know, you know the roosters, you know, like everyone's talking the storm, the pampers, possibly the rabbitos, but the roosters, you know, you know they're, they're definitely a sleeper in that top eight, and and the next couple of years they're going to have a very very strong side
2: there, Frank. I think without a doubt. And I think they're going to perform well this year, barring injury. Like, they had a terrible year last year. uh, But look where they finished. They still competed. Uh, I've I've got South dropping down to about sixth position, number six this year. Um, But I see the Roosters is going to be the the number one team for, um, you know, the next three, four, five years to come. I was just going
0: to say to you, Frank, do you think... Do you think uh, you know, like the um, as we've seen, the Bulldogs, the Broncos have brought off season? Can you see a team like that possibly upsetting and making the top eight?
2: No, um, I, I, I've looked at the bull. I know that you were telling me the other day you think the Bulldogs could be close to making eight. Um, I'll, 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 I'll predict now. I think they'll be bottom two. Um, not to say I'm right, but like that's the way I see it. But Broncos, uh, they might improve a place or two, um, but certainly not enough to make the top eight.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah, I'd, you know, I think the Bulldogs have brought well, but I think, you know, I I believe they're about maybe two to three seasons away from making that top eight. Now, we'll, we'll just have a quick chat. Who are you going to pick for your Delhi Air medalist,
2: Frank? Um, Barring injury, I think the fullback for Manly again, uh, Tommy Turbo. I think he'll be thereabouts. He'll be pushed by Tedesco. Mostly the two best players in the game. You know
0: what? Now, I hope hope our listeners don't think that we've had a conversation comparing what we're saying, because we definitely haven't. I've actually put down Tommy Travojovic as my Dallier medalist uh, pushed by someone like Nathan Cleary and Joey Manu, so so so, yeah. so to me, I, I think you know they they're going to be the players to look out for. And of course, you know I'm a big fan of Tommy Travoish. I think he's he, he is probably one of the best players in the game. I I think he's actually the best player in the world. Oh. You're not going to get an argument with me there, Frank, because the guy is still one of, you know, the way he can uh, dictate a game. The way as soon as he comes into that line, his instinctive running and it's just the guy. The, it's, it's his vision as well, too, Frank. That
2: re, that I really like. Yeah, I, I Amon. When, when you look at him play, when the ball goes into his hand, when they're attacking down that left side or, or either side of the of the park. You have a look at the uh, the opposition defence. He puts them in two thoughts of mind. They're not sure what he's going to do, whether he's going to run, whether he's going to pass. Um, and he'll draw two, three players on them every time and create space on his outside. He's just a great player. Oh, he's fantastic to watch, and you know he is—he is the best player in the world, you
0: know. And that's one of the things I enjoy. You know, like you don't have to, whether you like Manly or not,
2: you've got to love the way this guy plays. Absolutely, yeah, I think the record—I think the record showed last year that they—they um, they couldn't win without him. When he came back, they lost something like six straight, and then he comes mm-hmm. in and turns it, turns it around immediately. Absolutely. Now
0: we, we might as well talk. So the opening game, we, we might as well have a, I suppose we'll, we'll have a bit of a, we'll, we'll have a bit of a wee uh, drink on the first
2: game, Penrith versus Manly. Who are you going for, Brink? Um Well, I'm actually going for, I'm going for Penrith. But I'll tell you what, Eamon, I'll, I'll, I'll be fair to you. Let's have a bet on the <laughs> let's have a bet on the last game of the round because you like the bulldogs yeah. um and I think that's a fifty fifty game with the cowboys i'm I'm prepared to take the cowboys you know what I'll take the dogs on that one
0: yeah well <laughs> you never you, you never leave that you never never leave these opportunities mr endicott as you know now. <laughs> Just, just, just sort of our conversations. We hope that you're covered up to all for the next few months. Hopefully once we can get over, Gabriel over all this Omicron and, uh, we can catch yep. up and maybe, hopefully we can get back into studio at some point under some sort of green light where we can have you in studio. And I know that I'm looking forward to our conversation next Monday throughout the season. And I'm looking, and, um, I'm not looking forward to going to the bank manager and asking for a loan because I owe Frank Endicott <laughs> from a couple of seasons ago, a lot of booze. Yeah,
2: yeah. you made sure you got plenty in your pocket that day.
0: Oh, definitely. There'll be a call to the bank manager. Frank's, Frank, it's, good. it's great to have you back on back on here with us. I'm really looking forward to this season and we'll catch up next Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, mm. that was Frank Endicott, former Kiwis coach and and, you know, and a real good expert off the game and a bloody good bloke. Okay, we'll play a bit of music and next up we'll have former White Noel Barkley. We'll be talking a bit of BPL.
2: It's who I am, it's what I do And I was going to lay it down for you I tried to focus my attention But I feel so A-D-D. I need some help, some inspiration But it's not coming easily oh. Trying to find the magic oh.
0: everyone back to the West Point Sports Review here on Planet FM. And of course, now we come to the football part of it. And of course, I must admit, being a Manchester United supporter, it's not been, there's not a lot of positives. There's a hell of a lot more negatives. But here to talk to us is probably one of the busiest men in New Zealand sports at the moment. He's former always Former all whites Noel, Noel Barkley, and I know you've been busy as anything. Noel, and it's great to hear. It's great that you can spare some time for us today. Good day, Noel. Uh, a pleasure, Eamon. Um, yeah, been working on the on the cricket, and uh, yeah, the minute we're
3: praying for uh, a little bit of sunshine in Dunedin because we don't need the uh, the white ferns to draw down there against Bangladesh. But um, yeah, and a tough all morning um, watching the big game this morning. But um, yeah, business as usual.
0: Yeah, well, we might as well head into to the, we might as well head into before we go on. We'll go on to today's results. Well, we might as well kick it off. Unfortunately, we have to start off with the negatives before we get into some positives. But Manchester City four, Manchester United one, and you know, regardless at uh, times Manchester United looked like they were competing, but really, it's just a different class at the moment. No. Yeah, look, you know, four, four one. Sounds about right.
3: They um, yeah we had we had a little ten minute spell before we scored. It looked like we were sort of getting a lot of men forward, and you know, so oh here we go, we're back in the game. But the reality is that only one of our players um, outshone his opposite member. You know of the other Man City teams. To De Gea was fantastic, and and Edison didn't have anything to do. All the other ten players. Um, the Man City players were better and unfortunately when that happens the result is inevitable fullbacks were poor Fred and McTominay just battling away Um, game passed them by and we really had no X factor so yeah look I mean I I expected it so um, disappointing Uh, and uh, of course you have a look at the the gap that Arsenal Arsenal got three games in hand and uh, makes it really tough but City were great and take my hat off to them De Bruyne class, um, Rotary class, and um, their full are just a, a cut above ours.
0: Absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. And, of course, Arsenal, good one for them. Away at Vicarage Road over what for 3-2. And, you know, you're right, they've got those three games. Um, they've got those three games in hand. And, you know, we said about at the beginning of the season about Arteta being under pressure. Well, you know what, he's turned in. For what on paper looks like a very, very average, average side compared to your Spurs, compared to your Manchester United, but he's 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 made that side work. No,
3: yeah, no, how and, and he's made some tough decisions with the Bamiang and and um. But I mean, the quality of their goals this morning were pretty spectacular. I mean, absolutely brilliant goals. Um, <clears throat> you know, three-one, and Watford got back in it, but it didn't really affect the game, and. Um, yeah, I mean, three games in hand. I mean, one of the games are against us, so that gives us a bit of hope. But, um, yeah, we got some tough games coming up, so you got to think that um, they're absolutely in the box seat, right? especially with Wolves um, sort of losing and, and, and so on. And that Spurs, who knows how they'll go tomorrow. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah he's, a, he's a very happy man, I'll tell And for a guy that was going to lose his job, if he lost another game, he's now pretty much cemented that top four players.
0: He certainly has, Noah, and, and he should be congratulated. If he, if he makes top four, he, you know, that's a great effort because they were towards the bottom, early part of the season, they were towards the bottom three. OK, we move to the Saturday games. Liverpool 1, West Ham, Nelliburi, very good game. Chelsea 4, Burnley Nils, Just some of your thoughts on those two games.
3: Well, those games could have been completely the, the, yeah, the opposite way. I mean, um... Burnley missed three or four good, really, opportunities in the first half. Should have been leading, and then obviously fell over. Um, so Chelsea just sort of ground them down. Again, I'd, I'd say that Liverpool, despite their, you know, it looks like a solid win, but um, honestly, West Ham had so many chances. It was like sh- screaming out for remember, just a slot one. And uh, yeah, I think Liverpool got away with one there. Um, and West Ham, again, that doesn't help them in that top four, in that top four race.
0: It, does, it definitely doesn't help them. And, of course, um, you know, I think that puts in, you know, for Manchester United and West Ham, I don't, I cannot see them, even at this part of the season, make getting that fourth place. I think it's a shootout between Arsenal and Spurs. We might as well talk about the other games. Leicester 1, Leeds nil. Leeds are definitely heading towards that relegation battle. Newcastle 2, Brighton 1. Well, Newcastle, you know what? They're, they're winning, and they've been there on a good run. Villa 4, Southampton nil. Some of your thoughts on those games?
3: Well, There were, there were three absolutely crushing games. Villa with Coutinho just pulling the strings um, absolutely smashed southampton you would have expected better from southampton they've been really in a better form so that was I mean, that was that was great and they were you know obviously they've got watkins and ingram up front both playing both scoring which is which is good um, newcastle they, i think they've done enough now They're sort of almost mid table and um, they've had a bit of a run of wins see woodsy sort of set up the first goal which was good, and uh, I think they're, they're pretty safe. They, the, the, the game, which was t- t- tragically <laughs> unfortunate for Leeds, was, of course, against Leicester. They absolutely murdered them. Um, it was, honestly, they, was, they had so many chances. Uh, they should have won that game three or four, um, and Leicester get one chance, and, and Harvey Barnes sucks it away. So, yeah, really, really lucky for Leeds. They're now right in the mire of the scrap. Um, but I think they're good enough. Um, and they might, you know, this coach obviously went and, and improved a lot of things because they created lots of chances and, and didn't cough up four or five at the other end. So you gotta, just got to re- take the positives from that.
0: And, of course, some of the, the other two games over the weekend, Brentford, really, I think they're, they're pretty safe. 3-1 win over Norwich, who, who, who are more or less, we can say, they're, they're, they're going to be relegated. Crystal Palace. Solid
3: uh, 2-0 victory over over Hampton and Yeah, and and again, I mean Norwich losing at home wasn't a total surprise. Tommy who he, he scored a hat trick and he was absolute handful and uh, he he looked good. Brentford are safe. Um, yeah, the other game was was really interesting. I mean Wol- Wolves were very disappointing um, because they had it all to play for and um, Palace have just got better and better under Brera, who you know he was a bit of a odd as a player but seems to be a very easy going, mild mannered coach and these get the best out of the team and actually playing decent football compared to what they used to do under um, Roy Houghton who really just defended and sort of hit on the break. So yeah, big big things happening from there and they're good to see them getting up the table.
0: Absolutely. Well, we might as well move to the A League, and of course, um, it's pretty much the end of the season for the Wellington Phoenix uh, women A League side. But they lost two one to Perth. They're probably going to finish bottom. They've had a couple of wins, which has you know, been encouraging. But you know, I, I don't think the expectations were high for for the Phoenix in their inaugural season in the W League. But is there, is there, is there some positives to take out of this season? Well,
3: no. Yeah, absolutely. Um and it, it it it's a project, you know. It's Project World Cup 23 and professional professional athletes at a young age getting a, getting an opportunity to play against better opposition and tougher away games and traveling all that sort of stuff that they've never been experienced with before. Um some players definitely standing out. Um and you know, they've still got a year and a year and a half to for that event and um, I would would think that um, some of those kids who will, will, you know, they're at that age where they, you know, years a long time in terms of development. And um, I really hope that when they come back, they can be nurtured and some of them can break into what is, to be fair, a fairly aging squad with the football ferns. And um, I, would, I would see some opportunities for them, hopefully the coaches across, across the good plays.
0: I'd have to agree with you then. It's not only about 2023; it's also about 2027 for the next World Cup as well, too. So, so sorry to have somebody come past at the door, but uh, just at home doing this. But you know, I think that's really important, of course, for the Wellington Phoenix men's team. Another game postponed for them, and of course, probably they really do need these games because in the um, next few weeks they're going to lose. Probably, I, I'm actually doing a count up to possibly six, to make six players to the All Whites for the Oceania qualifiers for the World Cup.
3: Yeah, they've got a they've got a challenge there, haven't they? I mean, I think I, I read somewhere that um, with that game cancelled, they may have 10 games in April. Well, I mean, you just can't play every 3 days, you know, not. You might be able to do it sort of for three games, but not not for 10 games, so I'm not quite sure what they're going to do there, and certainly they're they're going to be I'm not sure they'll lose six, but they certainly could lose four, um, and that's still a lot because it's it's, it's players who are playing, you know. So yeah, I got some challenges, and that might cost them, um, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think it may, and of course, not not having not been able to to get points due to these games where they could have been in a more comfortable position while having these while having these players away. Well, I have to say it. As, as, as I now call you, our football analyst and the busiest man in New Zealand sports at the moment, Noel. I hope the rest of the week is fine, um, When and we hopefully will catch up next week. We'll I'll check I'll check with you during the week for your schedule, Noel. Sounds good, Eamon. Have a good week. Hey, same to you too. Ladies and gentlemen, it was former all-white Noel Barkley. God, he's a good an analyst on the game, isn't he? Brilliant. Lucky to have him. Anyway, we'll play a bit of music and hope. Next, hopefully, on the other side, we'll have Mark Watson. Welcome, everyone, back to the Prince Sports Review here on Planet FM. And uh, this is the time for a bit of discussion, a bit of debate. And I'm very lucky probably to have one of the best broadcasters in in, in New Zealand and, a, and an absolutely tremendous bloke. He is the man, he is the legend, and the hopeless romantic Mark Watson. Good afternoon to you, Mark. How are you, sir? You're yeah, very well, Eamon. Afternoon to you and your listeners. Excellent. And, of course, we might as well... Uh, get into and of course over the weekend a couple of losses in cricket Um, one of them being Rodney Marsh who was in part of that great Australian team of the 70s and 80s and of course Shane Warren who to me, you know, he was a character, you know, whether you loved him or hate him, he he made as I would always say, spin bowling sexy he, he he gave us a lot of laughs, but really off the field, from what I hear, off the field, one of the really nicest blokes could ever met.
4: Just some of your thoughts yeah, really, on that, Mark. Yeah, you no, know, really, really sad weekend for Australian sport and for international sport. Um, you know, Rod Marsh was one of the first names that I learnt as a young kid and slowly starting to get into cricket and then sort of off the back of that I guess the first New Zealand keeper I started to sort of remember was Warren Lee's but I think the thing about Marsh that impressed me he was the one guy in that underarm incident back there in 1981 that um, was just shaking his head saying to the Chapel brothers don't do this this is not within you know this is not within the spirit of the game this is going to black mark us for the rest of our days and he was 100% correct And I think he was as disgusted by what was happening as, you know, what we saw from the New Zealand batsman at the time. Uh, In regards to Shane Warne, what do you say? I mean, I think we all love to hate him. And then once he's gone, you actually realise you actually love the guy because um, I think a lot of people could see elements of themselves in him. Um, You know, arguably the greatest cricketer outside of Sir Donald Bradman, the greatest bowler uh, the game's ever seen, I think. Um, But, you know, it was just a sport that I think was so conducive for him and his personality. You know, it's not a a hard sport in terms of, you know, it's not like rowing, it's not like running in terms of the training side of it. It's sort of got quite an enjoyable aspect about the training. It's it's more of a skill-based sport and, you know, it allowed for a little bit of, you know, for a bit of the old sort of eating the odd pie and drinking the odd beer and so this guy just fell into a sport that was just so beautifully set up for him. His personality, his sort of um, lifestyle, and and, and um, allowed him still to be sort of very much that Aussie bloke. Yeah, you sort of just yeah, don't expect um, people to just yeah. sort of drop dead at fifty-two. And I always remember, you know, when the crocodile hunter passed away, I think I was over in Switzerland, and um, you know that that was that was big. Um, I mean, even last week with us, with Inga Tui Gamala and Joelie Binderi, uh, Jonah Lomu. Um, but I was just trying to sort of explain it to a friend of mine who lives in Canada, Raymond, who's sort of become a real fan of cricket um, over there. And I was trying to put it in context. And I said, you know what? In Australia, this is like the British losing Princess Diana. And and people go, no, surely not. I said, no, no, Shane Warne was royalty. Shane, Shane Warne, as I said, he, he you know, if there was a little bit of us. Well, a little bit of him and all of us. And, uh, yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it, when you sort of sit there over the summer watching the Ashes series and such a big part of that broadcasting unit and really insightful commentator, not afraid to have an opinion, not afraid to challenge the establishment. Um, you know, sometimes upsetting players who probably just needed to realise, like this is not personal, it's just analysing the game, analysing your performance. And, you know, once the test's over, a bit like sledging, hey, can we just move on and, You know, don't take it personally. And then suddenly he's just gone like that. And um, hopefully there's a lot of people out there now going to cardiologists and getting heart checks and people in there that are sort of late 40s, early 50s. And, you know, you sort of hope that um, through what's happened here that some good can come out of it and maybe a few people because of it end up saving their own lives. I'd have to agree with you there on the mark. And one of the
0: things, you know, like, I've heard some, you know, I've heard over the weekend some great stories. You know, I've heard of a friend um, of mine taking his son to the, to the for a tour of the Melbourne Cricket Grounds in the time when, you know, you had video phones where you could do a video off there. And Shane Warne was in one of the rooms. They asked him would he mind. He goes, no problem. And he was, you know, very genuine. You hear stories of people that worked in some of the hotels when the Australian cricket team used to tour, saying that the guy was just one of these. You know, he was a character. You know, he he was the Aussie larrikin. But I think he, what he was, he you know, for, for 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 all his weaknesses and you know all his faults, and he's like all of us. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. But the thing about it was, he he was a, he came across what you saw is, you saw that in him. You saw what a nice guy, always willing to give up his time.
4: Yeah, look, and I think, I think too, he could get away with a bit more because he actually delivered on the field. You know, I think we had an era of what I would call a Brat Pack um, with Peroree and Keynes and various players over the years who, you know, I, I don't think endeared themselves to the public. Um, probably got similar antics as Warren, but they just didn't back up on the field. And what they did off the field probably affected them on the field with Shane, worn by the sounds of it. Um, it's, it's sort of like what he did off the field almost almosts what he did on the field he needed one to be good at the other and, and there's always the danger there that if you try and change a personality too much off the field you can often lose the genius on the field and um you know lucky in both of my what he was a, he's a bit of a character um along the same sort of lines larger than life and you know we, we, we've seen a few over the years but None, none like all. I mean, this guy was a superstar. He was a, he was a global brand. He wasn't just known by cricketers. Um, you know, people wanted to be around him, like like a sort of a Michael Jordan to a degree. I'd have to agree with you there.
0: Anyway, we will move on. Of course, last Tuesday, the announcement, which I think a lot of us were expecting, Dan Valerie Adams, uh, has has called it quit, has retired. You know, you have a look at it. Like, you've had a lot to do with... Uh, uh, Dane Valerie Adams. She's going to go down as one of our greatest Olympians of all time, probably one of our greatest athletes that has ever been in New Zealand. You know, And while she has been at times controversy, at times, I think over the years we've seen a different side to Valerie. What were some of your thoughts on Dane Valerie Adams? Yeah, look,
4: I was very lucky. I called her um, Commonwealth Games Golden Delhi in 2010 for Sky Sport. I was there in the Olympic Stadium in 2012 calling that what ended up being a gold medal, but at the time was a silver medal because of Ostapchuk. Um, you know, I was called it with Keith Quinn in 2016 when Michelle Carter beat her for the gold medal off the very last throw, uh, equally two at the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast. So, look, yeah, I've got a little bit of a connection, mainly through, um, I guess, putting a frame around some of her achievements um, from the point of view of a commentator. Yeah, look, I mean, she has inspired a generation of Polynesian athletes, particularly in Māori people. And I think we've seen this young um, Madhu Weshi at the moment who finished sixth at the Olympics and had a breakthrough performance at the Nationals over the weekends of 19 metres. You know, She's part of the legacy now of Valerie Adams. Um, I also genuinely believe Tom Walsh is still a legacy of Valerie Adams. You know, if Valerie Adams, a, a, a girl from Rotorua can go and take on the world and stand on the highest step of the Olympic diet, And there's still a message in it. It doesn't matter where you come from in New Zealand, if you want it enough, you can still achieve it. And, and even in a world which is pretty murky, you know, with drugs and stuff these days in sport, I was trying to think about where she sits in regards to overall athletes in New Zealand. It is a hard one because, I mean, look, shot-put throwing, let's be honest, it is still a bit of a minority sport. You don't see a lot of people doing it on a Sunday morning, do you? Um, you've got to be a certain body type to be able to sort of really get into it. But the fact that she has won two Olympic golds, um, an Olympic silver, four World Championships, four Commonwealth Games gold, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it and go, you know, you're, you're going to go, Lisa Carrington probably first, and then in my opinion, I'm probably going to put Eva Swindells and Erin um, Baker, uh, the legendary Ironman triathlete, just by the sheer nature of what involved in that sport. And in fact, she won Hawaii a couple of times. And then I think probably Valerie sits in there. So certainly inside the top or five female athletes of all time in this country. I
0: would say, yeah, and I say she'd be within the top ten, and possibly at our, our top athletes. You know, we look at our top Olympic athletes like, well, Lisa Carrington holds the record. We, you know, we, we can't deny the great late like Peter Snell or some of the achievements which he has yeah. done at, at the Olympics. And I think one of the things is that I did notice about her is, is that, you know, I think you know, speaking to people that that had. Um, that were in the media and at times she could be, you know, probably not the easiest person to deal with and she but I think in the last few years she you know, I think we saw a different side to Val, as you probably would have noticed when we were at Tokyo last year. She was she was relaxed like Valerie Adams, the old Valerie Adams getting a bronze medal, she would not be happy, but she was relieved that she could still be that
4: competitive march. Yeah, and I think the, the weight of expectation was offered. I think everybody knew that after she'd had a couple of children and a few injuries and stuff, that and, you know, I think her form going in was suggesting that she was only going to throw sort of in the 19 metres, which was never going to be enough to win gold. But look, I think as you get older too, you you you're mellow, you start to realise that you've got to be, you know, you've got to endear yourself to the people, that you can't take yourself too seriously. And I think sometimes, and certainly I'm not, I'm not saying this was the case with Valerie, but I think sometimes when you're a young athlete, you get a few people around you, and I think a lot of athletes at times... You know, can get a little bit ahead of themselves. But, look, the dealings I always had with Valerie, um, yeah, no, I always found her very approachable. I found her, um, yeah, no, she's always prepared to take the time and do the interviews and do what was asked of her. Uh, You know, a lot of us don't actually realise sometimes the demands that are on these people, and we do expect everybody to be absolute angels and to be the nicest people in the world, and sometimes to be a competitor, you've got to have a little bit of a ruthless streak, and you've got to sometimes be a little bit self-centred or a lot self-centred.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Mark, because, you know, know, sometimes it's the old thing. You can be the nicest guy in the world, but you've still got to have that, the nicest person in the world, but you've still got to have that, you've still got to have that, you know, that little bit of self-sensitiveness, that little bit of arrogance, because you're in a competitive sport, and to be the
4: top, you've got to have that competitive edge. I mean, you've only got to look at Novak Djokovic. He hasn't really sort of endeared himself to the public, like, say, Nadal and Federer. But, I mean, if he was a New Zealander, you would sort of look past the, maybe some of the flaws in his personality and be just really proud of him as a New Zealander with what he'd achieved in the game. So, now, sometimes you've got to be a bit careful what you wish for. I mean, Daniel Loden oh. had really endeared himself to the public. He was a little sort of, um, um, you know, inward-looking. He was a, he a little awkward, um, very insular. But what a genius in the pool. Yeah, I think that I, I always believe
0: that, and this is just my opinion. I felt I felt that poor old Daniel was treated. You know, he wasn't really he 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 was very media shy. But I think he, you know, I think we, we we've just got to look back at a guy like Daniel Loder. He was very quiet, and you know, like have a look at his life after that after winning those uh, double gold medals in Atlanta. It wasn't easy for him either, and I think. You know, I think it would be interesting to one day actually for someone to actually get a story
4: and, and have a chat to him what happened after that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to sort of progress a little bit here, but I do find it sort of strange that Valerie Adams can get knighted and that suddenly we've got Sophie Pesco being knighted and we've got Dame Valerie Adams um, being knighted um, and, and clearly Lisa Carrington, I mean, as well. And you go, well, look, what have they really, really done Um outside of their uh, sport and their spare time in terms of using their name and reputation philanthropically. I'm not really sure they've done that much, to be perfectly honest. And so I cannot understand. So basically they've been knighted for their performances. So how does Daniel Loder only get the lowest form of Queen's honour? Why isn't he knighted? I mean, two gold medals on the poll, I'm sorry, almost um, surpasses... Those athletes that I've just mentioned, you know, I'd always argue that it's tougher than what Lisa Carrington's achieved.
0: You know, I definitely agree there. And you know, you know, Mark, I've actually, when I look at that, you know, I I look at that. If this had been, say, Australia or Great Britain, he would have been given the highest honour for being a double Olympic medalist. And the other thing too is, people tend to forget that Daniel Loder is still involved in swimming. He's still he's still involved in coaching coaching and mentoring. And you know, I think he's really you know, I think at times I think this country owes him owes him a, a, a lot because he's done a lot for this country and he and especially when it comes to swimming. Anyway, we you might just, as well move on. No, 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 but
4: just just on that thing. The thing that also annoys me a little bit, we get a lot of these media outlets. Who are consistently virtual signalling? You know, picking up organisations for not having gender balance within the workforce, or having the right representation in, say, the makeup of a board, or not giving women enough coverage, etc., etc. And um, you know, a lot of this sort of—I don't know—some people might describe it as wokeness or whatever, uh, whatever people might think about it. But yet, you know here it is, suddenly the Paralympics are on at the winters. We've got athletes winning gold medals, and they're barely getting any billing by the same media organisations who are more than happy to build news stories and make and create editorials around others for not being um, or, you know, not showing enough equality in the workplace or the way they do things or the messages they're communicating. And I just find it complete and utter hypocrisy from our media. You know, they, these are Paralympics, if they're true to their words. Should be front page billing, like Lisa Carrington, and yet, you know, they're not really getting the coverage, are they? No, they're not. You're dead right, and and it was
0: the same with um the, the, with the with the uh, summer Para, Paralympics. You know, you hear some of the stories here; they're they're fantastic. They're, they're fantastic stories, and unfortunately, mm. we 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 don't. You know, it's it's like you know what they their achievements. It should be compared to your Carrington's, to your Adams, to your Daniel Lodis well, because no, there's struggles. They, if there they
4: tri- Sorry if you, they you, you, you don't, if they're gonna hold everybody else if they're gonna hold everybody else to account and you know and you know, do a lot of virtue signalling on the surface about, you know, as I said, equality and all the rest of it and everybody being equal and the whole lot, you know, practice what you preach. You know, or, or doesn't it add up commercially? You know, so they'll often say that they'll often accuse everybody else. You know, they'll get behind say women's rugby and say, oh, the women's rugby team should be getting paid the same as the men. Um, Yet everybody knows what that business model suggests. That's not the case. They'll argue it, but when it comes to their own business model, hey, they're more than happy to follow suit and say, well, look, this doesn't actually work for us. So we'll talk a good game, but we won't actually practice it. Yep. Anyway,
0: on, on, that, on that note of debate at the end, it's always a pleasure having you having you on the air. It's actually good to have this debate live on air. Uh, we're just about to wrap up as we're heading towards uh, a minute to go. Mark, thanks so much for coming on air. We'll catch up in a couple of weeks' time and have a great rest of the week. Yeah,
4: no problem, Eamon. Cheers, mate. Thank
0: you. Cheers. OK, well, let us do the wrap-up right now. That's us done for the day. Have a great rest of the week. and. We'll catch you next Monday.